And so here we are in the depths of what is a internal dialogue between what we call the Seichel and the Nefesh. But there's these two fundamental components of our personality, the, the internal guide, courageous, compassionate, understanding, insightful, far-sighted, and we've got this internal student who seeks to learn, seeks to understand, seeks to find direction in his goal in life. And at this point in time, the student is seeking counsel from the Seichel in his Avodah Hashem. And the, we're at a point in the, in the dialogue where the Seichel is coaching the Nefesh to let go of some of the negative stuff that the Nefesh is dealing with. And um, the Nefesh says, listen, you know Seichel, you're offering me the world and you're telling me that if I don't fully subscribe to your recipe of spiritual advancement, my pathway is a dead end. And if I do, I'm going to see this, like, I'm going to reap the rewards. And the Nefesh says, tell me about that. Like, I don't, I don't get that. In other words, the Nefesh seeks to understand essentially a question that I think we all ask ourselves. I think Naftali's asking himself. I think Ari's asking himself. I think, I think even Odis is asking himself. I think uh, when, 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 when we get Polyanovsky to, to like just feel settled and, and kind of gain his composure, he'll also be asking himself. And that is, we are all making, and hopefully we'll always be making, fundamental changes in our life. Because change is a sign of growth and being alive. Stagnation is a sign of death. There was a, there was a, a great movie that Schmerl told me about, obviously, by word of mouth. He told me about the scene in a movie called Top Secret. <coughs> and there's a scene where the person phones up a hospital to check up on a patient and uh, the conversation goes something like this obviously you're only hearing one side of the conversation the person says hmm could you please tell me about the where um, the well-being of of mr. Jones mm-hmm oh ooh. mm-hmm okay well please do inform me if there's any change in his condition okay thank you so much puts down the phone someone asks him how's he doing he goes dead and the reason why that's funny, at least to Nathaniel, is because the thing about death is you don't really change that much. It's a bit of a death sentence. So the opposite of death is life, which means you must be changing the whole time. And the way to measure how alive you are is the pace of your change. The greater the pace of change, the more alive you are. And that's obviously exercising what we call our freedom of choice. When you don't exercise your freedom of choice, so then your entire life is a predictable trajectory that AI can replace and really your life is not worth living. But if you are radically different this year than you were last year, well, something's happened, hasn't it? There's signs of life. But when all you are doing is going on reading some stupid, boring script that some kind of massive global company wrote for you, because what happened? I'll tell you what happened in our model world, in our modern model world. Do you know what happened? Well, we've got these three parts to ourselves. We've got our thinking part, we've got our feeling part, and we've got our basic physical part. And do you know what happened? They got taken over. 
And now, there's very little humanity left. Do you know why? Well, because multi-billion dollar companies like Google took over our brains. And now learning is no longer an option. Do you know what it is? It's about information. And information is something that gets, boom, spritched into your mind and then just kind of creates a little bit of space for more to get spritzed into your And that's it. That's it. It's all about information. So we've outsourced our brain to Google. We no longer th we no longer think we, we no longer we no longer we no longer think we just know we know but where's the process where's the striving where's the darkness of doubt which can be followed by the light of insight no it's all there click of a button question answer question answer an information revolution correct revolution and when you have a revolution something goes up and something goes down and you know what's gone down our brains gone down where's it gone down the tubes that's our brain and what about our heart well friendship the biggest indicator of long life is how many people you love well how many people do you love now facebook says thousands we know not even one because a facebook friend is an anti-friend Facebook friend replaces a healthy relationship with a fiction of me, a fiction of him, and the fiction of us interacting. And what's left? Nothing, nothing. A vacuous space, unoccupied by real human relationships. So I had been replaced by Google, I heart by Facebook, and our physical actions has been taken over by the desire for more than we need, more than we could ever dream of by Amazon. So these multi-billion dollars have encroached into the space of humanity, invaded us and vanquished us. And here we are in this little room surrounded by these ancient books which are speaking of light and truth, connection, connection, deep thinking, love and actions which speak to the reality albeit limited of my own existence and therefore making the transition from being a slave to these modern conquerors requires work it's not so easy it's not so easy now to say that the discussion that went on in the life of the Chavis in his internal world 1000 years ago is a duplicate of today's overtaking by information and technology, obviously that part is incomparable. But when you dig a little bit deeper and you think what is at the source of the human condition, you'll see there are some jarring similarities. So let's just peek a little bit deeper into this work and see what the Nefesh and the Seichel are saying to one another in this discussion. So the Nefesh says, tell me, what am I going to get from taking your path, Seichel, this path of spiritual advancement? Where's the, what's the benefit? And what are the losses of not doing it, of going on my same tread path, the path that's so familiar and so comfortable? Says the Seichel, I tell you he, the goodness is, you'll be able to have tranquility and quiet, peace. From the darkness of this world. This world is dark in many, many ways. Darkness means that you can't see what's in front of you. Now, there's not seeing and there's not seeing. Let me show you a great example of not seeing because of physicality. Unfortunately, with the advance of technology and the capacity of humanity to produce gigantic billboards 
there's been a, I believe, belittling and objectification of the female body. And very often, women are used for their bodies to promote sales. Now, why is there darkness? I'll tell you why it's darkness. Because when the average male sees that beautiful female exposed in whatever context, what do they see? Do you know what they see? They see, oh my gosh, she's gorgeous. Really? She's gorgeous. You know her? You've met her? You find her personality charming? You've engaged in discussion with her? You understand her background, her life, her inner workings? No. So when you say you're gorgeous, what do you mean? Oh, you mean the physical form that you're seeing in two-dimensional space is gorgeous. What have you done? You've become blind. That's how the physical form is. physical world is dark. You don't see what's behind that beguiling illusion that presents itself in such a powerful and sensory stimulating way. And therefore we live in a world which clouds our vision and doesn't open it up. And in order to get some freedom from that kind of short-sightedness, we need to take the part that the Seichel is advocating each and every one of us in our internal nefesh, in our internal dialogue. And the Seichel goes on and says, sorry, yes, um, Daniel Katz, would you like to ask a question? A little while back, it's fine. Okay, so, it gives you peace, tranquility. Because physical pleasure has always got a sting in it. There's something which, which always leaves us slightly sad. The moment after that pleasure evaporates, so what are we left with? Most often vacuum. And what takes the space, naftali, of the high is the low. The high is so high, but the low doth come. So these physical pleasures are fantastic in that moment. When you reach the zenith, it's blissful and elated. But then, boom, the crash comes shortly afterwards. So there's a tinge of sadness attached to all these physical pleasures. The Ta'anugois, and those pleasures run out. They have an expiry date. Even if I give you the most delicious meal in the world, the most succulent sirloin steak, lightly grilled, soft, soft inside. You can almost imagine the sound of it as the steak hits the grill and you can smell the rich aroma which is almost makes your mouth water when you just visualize that fresh piece of tender steak just grilling on the grill and you get closer and you see how it's slightly charred on the outside but in the side it is so delicately tender and rare and delicious and then it's put in front of you on that plate with those perfectly fried french fries so crisp and as you gently salt them and you look at it and you taste one of those crisp fries before you go and then you take your lay your razor sharp knife and it slices through the steak like a knife through butter and you put that small piece on your fork and you bring it close and you can smell the delicious grilled aroma and you take it and you put it to your tongue and oh blissful pleasure as it almost melts in your mouth 
Ah. And then you have another piece. And eventually you finish that 500 gram steak and you're feeling quite full and satiated. And the waiter says, Do you know what? There's a special. You get another one for free. You go, yeah. And this time, the steak, as well cooked, as well, perfectly medium rare, and your knife cut into it, and it cuts like butter, and you put it into your mouth, and it tastes okay. And by the time you go halfway through, halfway through, your stomach is already starting to say, reaching saturation point, reaching saturation point. But because you're devoted to the cause, you go forth and you hack away piece after piece, forkful after forkful, and eventually succeed in stuffing another 500 grams down your gullet. And at the end of it, you're feeling borderline. And then the waiter says, lucky day. There's another one. And you go, ooh, how revolting. What happened? From those early moments of elation to those latter moments of revulsion. Because the pleasures in this world driven to an extreme become repulsive repulsive and that can never happen in the spiritual world ever thank you for raising that issue never happen in the spiritual world I've never seen a person say I felt too connected I felt too connected no, but they I, was, I was so enjoying that moment of special shared love with someone that I had love and then more love and, and then I just thought, oh my gosh, this love is disgusting and repulsive. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I've never heard a person who's enraptured with the spiritual delight of deep spiritual connection and he feels, oh, this is saturating me. Oh, the more I have of it, the fuller I become. On the contrary, in the spiritual world, the fuller you become the more space opens up for more. And in fact, that's what the Gemara says in its classic metaphor, contrasting physicality to spirituality, as you so beautifully raised with completely the wrong perspective. <laughs> and the Gemara says that in the world of the material, kli, reik, machzik, kli, mole, eino machzik. A full vessel cannot hold any more. An empty vessel can hold so much. But in the spiritual world, ironically, currently, intuitively, it's the exact opposite. An empty vessel, a person that's devoid of spiritual connection, has very little capacity to connect spiritually. An empty vessel holds naught. But a full vessel, a person that is connected, open, in touch, aware, the more aware he becomes, the greater his capacity to contain even more. No more knowledge, more connection, more depth, more wisdom, more excitement, more inspiration, more happiness, more fulfillment, more contentment, more everything. So then why do people fry up? Why would someone like a bocher Excellent question, excellent question. There are some people that unfortunately replace what we would call spirituality with ersatz spirituality. It means false, counterfeit. And really what they're doing is they're going on a gigantic ego trip and they're dressing it up as a spiritual experience. And when you do that, like all ego trips, ego trips land up in a dead-end station. So what I'm talking about now is real, true, essential, sincere, authentic connection. Not spurious, self 
orchestrated spiritual advancement which has no real connection to yourself, spirituality or God. How can you different? How does After many years of careful training, the eye can spot it a mile away. Beware. Continues the Chayvah's Halvavos in his beautiful rendition of this dialogue and says to his nefesh, V'shetavoyi lidei ha'akora achi chazaka and when you reach the point of the recognition, which is so strong, and we began discussing this, that the true place of your ultimate tranquility is a place where the physical struggle no longer takes place. Your soul is given the right of passage to soar, to expand, not to be compressed into this physical prison which keeps it from shining its light in its deepest possible way. And this is a kind of place that you're striving to arrive at. And the way you get here is you have to slowly wean yourself off the negative behavioral patterns inside of you. That's going to be when you pass through that gate and you manage to leave behind all that stuff you'll be able to transition from a life which was aimed at getting to a dead end to a life which will last forever a transcendent life and that's the perspective of what you can achieve you can live eternally right here, right now because your moments will not be sucked into the darkness of physicality by expecting that the moment that I experience is limited by the physical senses and their stimulation. Rather, we'll use those physical senses and stimulation as a springboard to something far greater. Imagine. No, we all wear clothes, thankfully. And if you think about the idea of clothes, you know, there's an enormous amount to be said about couture culture. But when you think about the idea of, of clothing, so there's, there's so much diversity, there's such a range, but it's rare to find a garment which is explicitly for the normal man, I'm not talking about clergy, for the normal man in the street, a garment which has a specific spiritual connotation. If you go to any range of stores, from Calvin Klein to Castro. You don't like see section. You get men's, women's, all those in between. But there's no section. There's no section of spiritual clothing. No, you just, it just doesn't appear in your department stores. Imagine this. We take the notion of clothing and we make it into a transcendent experience. That's an extremely entrepreneurial move on behalf of Tyre, isn't it? And we take a garment and we say, this garment is going to act as a protective device that's going to assure that your consciousness remains connected, that your internal authenticity, your integrity is preserved. Because tell me, what if, how do you preserve integrity? How do you not fall prey to the multiple temptations, the seductions of the world that surrounds you? I mean, it's very compelling to fall into one of the extremely beguiling sensory stimuli of this world. How do you remain in check? 
Well, if you remain connected and you feel that you have a strong sense of God consciousness, that the notion of the power, of the higher power, is not some intellectual reminiscing of my mind, but it's a somatic experience of my body, which in Hebrew is called Yiras Shemaim. Yiras Shemaim means the awe, the reverence of heaven, or Yiras Hashem. And people are kind of poo-poo this idea, fear of heaven, that sounds okay, that sounds, that sounds not good. But if you think about it, let's gain insight from an interaction between Avram and Avimelech. Avram Avinu heading down to Israel. Says to his wife, sorry, you know, please tell me that you're, tell them, these people, Avimelech's people. And Avimelech was a just leader of an extremely moral society. Tell them, you're my sister, not my wife, lest they kill me and take you. Arrives at the town. First question they ask him, who's that lady? Oh, she's my sister, says he. Oh, fantastic, says they. Say they. Let's take off to Avimelech. Comes to the palace of Avimelech, everything goes wrong in the palace. Avimelech says, this is pretty strange, something weird is going on. He has a dream. Shem comes to him in a dream and says, why are you taking a married woman? He goes, married woman? I'm blameless, I'm guiltless, I'm clean. Wakes up in the morning, approaches Aram Avinu, he says, why did you do that to me? Why did you mislead me? Aram Avinu says, in probably one of the most powerful words, recorded in the narrative of the Chumash that he saw Kirak Enyers Eloikim and noted that there was no awe of Hashem in this place. So you could step back and say, well, what? Who cares? There was a moral society. I've said, a moral society when there's no higher power that you're answerable to is only as strong as its leaders. And the human being without a high authority to answer to, is the weakest, most susceptible creature alive today. And that's why so many just societies who praised the respect and need for others, communism elevated the proletariat to a status of being a partner in the wealth of the country. My comrade, comrade Stalin, what happened to the camaraderie between him and the 50 million people he killed? He is answerable to no one. And the most dangerous and precarious person, a hu- place a human being can ever be in is when he's not answerable to anyone. Because in the name of goodness, he will kill the multitudes. The only thing, the only hope for authentic integrity is a recognition that we have someone watching, listening and understanding what we do, who is answerable and we are answerable to him. And when that starts to disintegrate, so does society, so does integrity, so does honesty. And we're left with a group of people who their subjective biases drive their agendas. And they will kill, murder, pillage, plunder, all in the sake of goodness. And comes along the Boya Olam and gives us a gift. He says, I want to make sure that you don't get distracted. And you recognize this. And he puts upon us the garment which is more powerful than mythical armor can protect from any arrow, bullet, or the like. And he calls them tzitzis. A strange word which has a double connotation of peeping. You just look at them 
and there's a transformation in your consciousness. But the word sit also means sapling, something which is just sprouted from the ground. Well, isn't it interesting? Because the tzitzis have got four corners saying these are the boundaries of the physical world. And then they've got this string, this knot, representative of connection that pierces the surface of the four corners of the physical earth and spreads out into transcendency, which is connective. And that's the visual symbolism of the tzitzis, that they have the four corners, the four corners of the earth, the physical realm, pierced by the five knots and eight strings, gematria taryag mitzvahs, that allow us to escape the confines and prism of a limited, finite dimension and pull us into transcendence, keep us connected, knotted to a higher power, keep us focused, keep us with integrity, honesty, authenticity, keep us true to ourselves, true to ourselves. And that level of clothing is inspiring and powerful. And that's what I mean when the Baradim says he takes the physical and he translates it into spirituality and transcendence. Because something that you put onto your body, instead of simply being a way of covering you and protecting you from the elements or protecting your body, becomes a catalyst for constant spiritual focus. And we have the privilege to carry to wear that garment breathtaking oh gosh overflowing with gratitude am I to be able to be the wearer of this divine armor it rescues us from the swords and spears being thrust upon us incessantly and allow us to stay connected, tied, bound, inextricably linked to the source of our being. And as we plod through the world, step after step, we remain transcendent. And a person from afar seeing us, when we've integrated these lessons, will say, I have no idea who that person is, but he's not made from mortal fiber, for his pathway extends to eternity. <laughs>